President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. In other words, he's guilty, but I'm going to vote not guilty. Because I'm a coward. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO. Eugene's KEPW in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets, five days a week, even in the midst of winter storms. Perhaps especially in the midst of winter storms. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, after a very uh, busy news weekend, I suspect I know what you all want to talk about today. And I will indeed be opening up the phone lines to you if you'd like to call in and discuss it at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Do you think they want to talk about it, Des? Do you think they know what I'm what I'm what I'm talking about? <laughs> we shall see. All right, we'll see. Uh, but first, as we go to air today, as if the COVID epidemic wasn't bad enough, much of the U.S. is now locked down even harder right now by extreme winter weather, including crippling snow and record cold in many areas of the nation, especially in Desi Doyen's old home state of Texas. A frigid blast of winter weather across the U.S. plunged Texas. Oh, hi there, Desi Doyen. <laughs> hey. uh, uh, your family doing okay? Yes, I've checked in with everybody. Everybody's all right. For the most part, power's out, but they have stuff to do to adapt, so they're all right. Thanks for asking. Glad to hear it. Uh, yeah, an unusually icy emergency Monday has knocked out power to nearly three million people closed dangerously snowy and slick highways and put the delivery of new COVID-19 vaccine shipments on hold. 
Temperatures nosedived into the single digits as far south as San Antonio and homes that had been already without electricity for hours had no certainty about when the lights and the heat would come back on amid these frigid temps and as the state's overwhelmed power grid throttled into rotating blackouts that are typically only seen in 100-degree Fahrenheit summers. Yes, now, I don't want to, uh, frankly, rub this in during a very serious crisis currently underway, but I do recall folks from Texas and elsewhere having quite a bit of fun with California over the years whenever we find ourselves facing rolling blackouts during heat waves. I do hear the echoes of those claims that, you know, oh, California is such a disastrously run state by all of those liberal pinkos out there. They can't even keep the lights on. Just saying, I remember Texas and I uh, won't enjoy that same idiocy and cruelty now that you are failing to be able to keep the lights on for people, keep the heat on for people during a crisis uh, for largely similar reasons. In any event, the storm was part of a massive system that brought snow, sleet, freezing rain to the southern plains and was spreading across the Ohio Valley and up to the northeast. Jason Furtado, professional, uh, professor of meteorology at the University of Oklahoma, uh, said we're living through a really historic event going on right now, citing uh, all of Texas, all of Texas under a winter storm warning for the first time in history and the extent of the freezing temperatures there and elsewhere. In Houston, where county leaders had warned that the deteriorating conditions could create problems on the scale of massive hurricanes that slam the Gulf Coast with more and more regularity each and every year, it seems, one electric provider said that power may not be restored to some homes until Tuesday. Encore, Texas's largest Electricity utility, which serves 10 million customers, said Monday morning that electricity supply shortfalls or are forcing much longer outages, power outages, than originally expected. Due to the severity of the electric generation shortfall, they say, our expected outage length of 15 to 45 minutes has been significantly extended. Indeed, it has. Outages due to this electric emergency, they say, could last for hours. Well, um, some have been reporting outages for as long as 10 hours in these frigid temperatures without heat or electricity. Yeah, and a lot of residents are posting pictures to social media showing that the interior thermostats in their homes are around 40 degrees, which yeah. is a dangerous way to have to survive through that without yeah. any power with lots of blankets and stuff. But it's it's very dangerous. It's dangerous for the elderly. It's danger dangerous for the disabled. It's ex exceptionally dangerous for the homeless. It's also dangerous for a lot of folks who think they have generators that they can bring inside and uh, end up burning their houses down. Or also, you know, that also creates uh, CO2 buildup inside yep. homes. So that can also create CO2 poisoning, carbon dioxide, po carbon monoxide poisoning. So it's very important that anyone using a generator understand what they're doing and have it installed properly. Dan Woodfin, Senior Director of System Operations at the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, told AP, quote, this event was well beyond the design parameters for a typical or even extreme Texas winter. 
that you would normally plan for. And so that is really the result that we are seeing, he said. State health officials said Texas, which expected to receive more than 400,000 additional vaccine doses this week, now is expecting deliveries to occur uh, not until at earliest Wednesday. Vaccinations will resume as soon as it's safe, said Doug Loveday, a spokesperson for the Texas Department of State Health Services. The cold snap, in addition to being severe, is also unusually widespread. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, as I noted, issued a disaster declaration for all of the state's 254 counties. I don't believe that has ever happened before. No, it has not happened before. And remember, that's 254 counties. To give you an idea of how large Texas is, it takes about a day to drive across it, 10 to 12 hours, just to get from one end of the east to the other end in the west. And so how's that old saying go? The old saying goes, the sun has risen, the sun has set, and here we is in Texas yet. Yes, we is. Uh, also, in addition to Texas, um, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt and Arkansas Governor Asa, Asa Hutchinson, uh, as of this hour, have each activated National Guard units to assist, assist state agencies with tasks including rescuing stranded drivers. President Joe Biden also declared an emergency in Texas in a statement on Sunday night. The declaration is intended to add federal aid to state and local response efforts. In Texas, officials have warned that people may die of hypothermia and uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, as Desiree noted, from improper use of generators. The economic toll on agriculture could be staggering, they say, with meteorologists in the insurance industry expecting this event, which should go through the end of the week, to end with a billion-dollar cost. And if I am not mistaken, uh, Des, I believe you reported recently on one of our Green News reports that 2020 saw a record number of billion-dollar disasters in the U.S., which were once rare but are now sort of increasingly, uh, you know, coming up each and every year more and more, causing more and more of these billion dollars in damage. Yes. In 2020, we had a record $22 billion uh, weather disasters. Again, those are disasters that cost more than a billion dollars in economic losses and insured losses. And, you know, I want to also point out that this is this kind of record extreme storm. It is it is rare in both scope and intensity. Um, and it is actually in line with scientists' predictions of climate change that we would expect to see more extreme swings and more intense and frequent uh, swings in extreme weather. Um, and they have this related to the warming in the Arctic. As the Arctic ice melts, it is warming the ocean, it is warming the air above it, and that is in turn disrupting the jet stream that drives weather patterns across the United States. And that makes these incursions of extreme cold Arctic weather much more likely. And um, so in Texas specifically, these power outages are due to a mismatch between demand and supply. And that same mismatch between demand and supply is what happened in California during the break, the uh, the summer blackouts that we had. Mm -hmm. So, um, and when you note that it is also spreading to other states, yeah. um, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, they are suffering right now from the same blackout, and it's extremely, extremely 
difficult for them right now because, remember, Lake Charles was hit with two hurricanes over the summer. And so a lot of people remain homeless. Their homes remain uncovered. Their pipes are freezing. They have no shelter. So it's an exceptionally difficult situation for them as well. And uh, in Texas, the whole power outage was triggered by a lack of fossil fuel capacity, it turns out. Oh, you mean it wasn't uh, the fault of all that renewable energy that uh, somehow failed? No, it was not. Now, there is some notation, uh, some reporting that some of the wind turbines that are used in Texas, that they provide, I don't know, uh, about a third of the electricity supply there, some of them have frozen because they don't have installed the cold weather uh, additions that that normally you would use in In colder climates, climates, like in Germany and in the Northeast, where Mm -hmm. it's not a problem. So, um, but what's happened is that this extreme cold is so extreme that it has caused many generating units across all fuel types to uh, trip offline and become unavailable. The exceptional cold is said to be affecting about 30 states right now, temperatures up to 50 degrees, five zero degrees below normal. According to Greg Carbon of the Weather Prediction Center in Maryland, the area currently covered by winter storm warnings right now across the continental U.S. is larger than the land area of Alaska. Some uh, some counties along the immediate Texas coastline near Houston had never been under a winter storm warning until this week. Um, so, I mean, we're seeing this from, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City up to Kansas. Um, just it's a terrible system. Now, Desi Doy and I have been I have not been watching Fox News today, but I can only suspect and, you know, I don't even really need to guess, but I suspect there have been any number of jokes today on Fox, you know, furthering the, the you know, trying to further disor- disinform their already disinformed viewers that, oh, well, I guess global warming is now over because it's cold. So I guess Al Gore must be crying today, et cetera. But no, this has very much to do with uh, with climate change. Well, yeah, like I said, it's it's co- totally in line yep. with what climate scientists have predicted for decades that we will see. Global warming intensifies the water cycle. It means that there's more moisture available in the atmosphere to dump rain and snow when it's rain, when it's too warm, when it's above 32 degrees, snow when it's and ice when it's below 32 degrees. And again, it, that's that that emerging science about the jet stream being mm-hmm. disrupted by the Arctic warming that is changing and drying these extreme weather patterns. Um, you know, this is truly a record historic storm for the region of Texas, but also for the states that are, you know, from Texas all the way to the northeast. Well, the, the entire northern hemisphere. There's uh, some evidence that rapid climate change in the Arctic, which is melting the sea ice there, is now helping to disrupt the larger scale weather patterns all across the globe, uh, including here uh, in in, uh, in in the U.S. Exactly. Where uh, we are, that this area is the coldest right now on Earth. The rest of the globe uh, is warmer than usual, is more mild than usual. And in fact, even with this cold snap, um, <clears throat> overall, this winter is uh, on, on, on target right now to be one of the warmest ever. Yes, still. At, at the same, yes. Uh, At the same time, uh, however, as Congress has finally moved beyond its most recent impeachment of a disgraced U.S. president, which we will get to in a moment. Yes, our number is 818-985-5735 if you would like to ring in. Uh, With all of this, the business of government under our new president 
does continue apace, including the rollback of still more Trump-era debacles. The Biden administration has now quietly moved to roll back the controversial Trump-era policy of Medicaid work requirements. Well, that's thoughtful in the middle of a pandemic in which there are no jobs. According to The New York Times, on Friday, health officials notified states with approved work requirements that the Biden administration will withdraw those approvals. Additionally, the Biden administration removed a Trump-era online guidance document encouraging states to implement new work requirement plans. Those are now gone. Although President Biden signed an executive order requesting a review of the Trump-era Medicaid work requirement in the first week of his presidency, Friday's policy change uh, was made without a public announcement. Medicaid, of course, is a $600 billion federal state program that covers about 70 million people. States had the option of expanding access to Medicaid to many low-income adults after the uh, well, under the uh, Obama-era Affordable Care Act, uh, which would offer free health care to tens of millions of more Americans. During the Trump administration, however, Seema Verma, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Administrator, headed up a policy priority of pushing states to implement Medicaid work requirements, a move that the Obama administration uh, repeatedly rejected to states that requested waivers, stressing concerns over waivers potentially undermining access to health care. The Trump era um, uh, uh, Medicaid uh, work requir requirements, however, were barely adopted during the four years of uh, Trump's nightmarish presidency. Arkansas was the only state to actually start the program, but that was put on hold by a judge after it was implemented. Other states plan to adopt the Medicaid work requirements. They hit roadblocks in courts as well. Nearly 20 GOP-run states uh, have made efforts to implement the work requirement after the Trump's, uh, Trump administration's invitation in 2018 to submit proposals. The uh, Associated Press reported that a new statement from the now Biden-run Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services highlighted the country's wrecked economy and high unemployment amid, co amid the COVID pandemic as a primary concern in America's access to health care. The CMS statement said, in the midst of the greatest public health emergency in generations, now more than ever, people with Medicaid need access to care. This is not the time to experiment or test policies that risk a substantial loss of health coverage or benefits, especially for individuals and communities significantly impacted by COVID and other health inequities. Moreover, the Biden administration has now reopened the federal healthcare.gov exchange for new signups. That, despite the normal open enrollment period having already closed for the year, but they are doing it because of the enormous loss of jobs thanks to the pandemic and the uh, uh, subsequent loss of health care coverage for millions of Americans right now. So if you have lost your job and your health care along with it, you can now go to healthcare.gov right now to see if you can sign up for a health care plan with uh, subsidies to help uh, cover the cost of premiums. 
uh, or maybe uh, even free health care entirely via Medicaid. You can do that at healthcare.gov. I continue to be happy to see the Biden administration so far, I, I underscore so far, uh, taking aggressive action to roll back so much of the damage that has been done to this country by the uh, previous administration over the past four years. And I have been happy to see that by and large, and even though it takes an occasional push from progressives to help keep them on track, by and large, Joe Biden so far seems to appreciate the need for big and bold action right now and is not so far falling prey to the old uh, austerity, we don't have enough money, the old con, the old ploy from Republicans. Uh, yes, his ambitious $1.9 trillion COVID relief and stimulus plan remains on track toward passage with or without any Republican votes in the U.S. Senate that will be passed. And as promised, the so far wildly popular plan is bringing the nation together. It appears to be supported by uh, more than 80 percent of voters around the country. That's truly bipartisan. <clears throat> yep. Even if Republicans in Congress, if they continue to try and derail the effort. <clears throat> I was also happy to see that the uh, the promised $1,400 checks will not be more limited than previous uh, COVID relief payments as some moderate Democrats and Republicans had been trying to uh, trying to effectuate, essentially. The uh, Progressive Caucus made a hard push when they started to talk about, oh, we're going to lower the ceiling for who is eligible for those checks. Yes, the infamous means testing to make sure that people who have so much money that they say they don't deserve it. But of course, that ends up being a complicated system that prevents people who actually need the money from getting it. Correct. So uh, thanks to the progressives, that apparently, at least as of now, so far is not going to be happening. It's going to be the same ceiling that it was. Uh, essentially, if you make up to $75,000, you should receive one of those $1,400 checks. Um, you know, thanks again. Thanks to the Progressive Caucus uh, and even otherwise conservative Democrats. And this is really interesting, like Congressman Richie Neal of Massachusetts. He's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee and a key figure in crafting the covid relief bill. Uh, he wants to add monthly cash payments totaling thirty six hundred dollars per year for every child under the age of six or $3,000 for children from uh, the ages of 6 to 17. So this is some progressive stuff from a bunch of not historically progressive Democrats. So you know what? Uh, for now, keep up the good work, Democrats, and, uh, and those who are pressuring them to do so. I look forward to more, uh, you know, Actual policy conversations on this program after about four or five years talking about anything but in the days ahead. Uh, but we still got uh, some cleanup on aisle 45, unfortunately, to do uh, quite a bit, actually. So let me take a quick break here. And we will pick up where we left off uh, sort of on Friday, the day before the weekend vote, where a huge bipartisan majority of the U.S. Senate found the former president of the United States, Donald John Trump, to be guilty of, incite, of inciting an insurrection against the U.S. government. And now, while I say that uh, I, I think uh, Democrats so far are doing a good job, 
They're not doing a perfect job, and we saw some of that slip up a little bit on Saturday. We will talk about that. Uh, I'd like to open the phones uh, to you and how you think all of this went over the weekend, and if you are happy or disappointed with the outcome and what you would like to see next when it comes to accountability for the Scofflaw former president. Our phone number is 818 985 5735. That's 818 985 KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Brad bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. I'm guilty. Baby, I'm guilty. Now be guilty. All the rest of my life. Yes, you will. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, Mr. Former Vice President, you, Mr. Former President, you will be guilty for the rest of your lives. Uh, Donald Trump's second Senate impeachment trial, this time for incitement of insurrection of the deadly January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol during a joint session of Congress to affirm the 2020 Electoral College results, which uh, then resulted in five deaths that day, including a police officer and two subsequent deaths by suicide of police officers in the days that followed, not to mention more than 100 injuries to those same police officers, some of them very, very serious. That impeachment trial came to a close over the weekend with a huge, historic, bipartisan majority of senators finding by a 14-vote margin, 57 to 43, that yes, Donald Trump was in fact guilty as charged, 57 to 43. Unfortunately, conviction under constitutional impeachment rules requires a two-thirds vote of senators. So despite the fact that an historic seven Republican senators joined all of the Democrats to find Trump guilty. The vote, the vote ultimately fell 10 votes shy of what would be needed to convict and then disqualify Trump from holding future office under the impeachment procedures. Um, but, you know, until Donald Trump's first impeachment, there had never been a single vote by the uh, by the other party, the party that was not in the White House, uh, a single vote for convic- conviction during an impeachment. Mitt Romney, during Donald Trump's first impeachment, was the first person from the same party as the president to vote guilty, to vote to convict. That was the first time in U.S. history. Now... This time, seven Republicans bucked the uh, 43 fellow uh, GOPers who had voted to support the new precedent that apparently presidents may incite an attack on the U.S. government so long as it's done at the very end of their administration so there won't be enough time to hold the trial while the president is still in office. 
those seven Republicans who voted guilty, uh, they deserve kudos, frankly, for doing the obviously right thing here. Uh, I know that it seems odd to give them kudos for doing what was so obviously right. But apparently when it comes to the Republican Party at this point, this is what it takes. Oh, they did the absolute minimum right thing. Yay. We've got to laud them. So uh, laud them we will. Richard Burr of North Carolina surprised everyone by voting guilty. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Susan Collins of Maine. Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. Mitt Romney of Utah. Ben Sass of Nebraska. And, Bet, uh, and uh, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania all joined all of the Democrats for that 57 to 43 finding that, yes, Donald Trump was guilty of inciting an insurrection. Notably, Republican Senator uh, Senate leader Mitch McConnell, uh, who signaled in advance of those closing arguments on Saturday that he intended to vote not guilty, he made clear that Donald Trump was, in fact, guilty as charged, but that he voted against conviction anyway under the phony premise in violation of, of historical precedent, hundreds of legal scholars from both the right and the left, and even a bipartisan Senate vote earlier in the week confirming the constitutionality of the trial. Uh, he voted anyway uh, not guilty only because, he says, the trial was held after Trump was already out of office, claiming falsely that that was unconstitutional. Never mind the fact that it was Mitch McConnell himself that refused to hold the trial until Donald Trump was out of office. Uh, he blocked the uh, Democrats from bringing the uh, impeachment charges earlier. In any event, here are some of the cowardly McConnell's comments uh, after Trump won his second impeachment trial acquittal on Saturday. January 6th was a disgrace. American citizens attacked their own government. They used terrorism to try to stop a specific piece of domestic business they did not like. They did this because they'd been fed wild falsehoods by the most powerful man on earth. Because he was angry, he lost an election. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. Hmm. That sounds like guilt to the me. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. Oh, that sounds like incitement. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. We have no power to convict and disqualify a former office holder who is now a private citizen. Wrong. But this underscores that impeachment was never meant to be the final forum for American justice. President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office. As an ordinary citizen, didn't get away with anything yet, yet. 
The Senate's decision does not condone anything that happened on or before that terrible day. It simply shows that senators did what the former president failed to do. We put our constitutional duty first. Of course, that is utter rubbish from the now Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. The ultimate decision to acquit was absolutely seen as a precedent to establish presidential impunity during his or her final weeks in office. Uh, And no, uh, McConnell and the other 42 Republican senators who voted to acquit did not put their constitutional duty first. Constitutional experts have all said it is perfectly appropriate to hold a trial after an executive official is out of office. The Senate has done so before. The institution of the Senate did so earlier this week or earlier uh, last week, I should say, when they voted that, in fact, yes, it was constitutional by a uh, I believe it was a 54 to 46 vote establishing yet again that, in fact, it was constitutional. So as Mitch McConnell uh, admits that Donald Trump was guilty of incitement, it is utter rubbish to say that uh, he voted not guilty only because these proceedings uh, were unconstitutional and they didn't have the jurisdiction. Yeah, and it would be really nice if the corporate media press coverage reflected the fact that that was entirely fabricated by the Republicans in order to have some kind of thin read on which they could provide yeah. themselves some pretext to acquit Trump. And and I know that none of them actually believed that excuse that they gave, but they needed something, anything to give themselves an out for violating their oaths of office. Exactly. They were grasping at any excuse that they could have, you know, invent, essentially, in order to get themselves and their party somehow off the hook for voting not guilty, despite what everyone plainly saw with their own eyes as the guilt of the president in inciting an insurrection against the U.S. government that would have never occurred had it not been for his ginned-up claims of a stolen election and encouragement to, quote, fight like hell, to overturn the results by hook or by crook on January 6th and in the weeks prior. As House Manager Stacey Plaskett, delegate from the U.S. Virgin Islands, and by the way, she was tremendous Uh, As were all of the House managers, in truth. Yes, Uh, they were fantastic. Plaskett was particularly great, I thought. Uh, She she said during the uh, House managers' press conference after the vote and after McConnell's appalling comments there on Saturday. Listen, we heard from from the minority leader, Mitch McConnell, that we have proven the case. He said specifically, the House managers have proven the facts of the case. These senators have decided to hang their hat on jurisdictional grounds, which are not based in the evidence, which are not based on the facts, and they will have to be judged for that. Now, I would like to, uh, that was Stacey Plaskett, uh, I would like to open the phones to your thoughts on everything that went down over the weekend, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Uh, I'd like to hear if you were as uh, disappointed as I was initially regarding the Democrats' uh, decision, the Democratic House manager's decision, essentially, to not call witnesses after all. Um, <clears throat> I'd have been mildly disappointed 
uh, had they just moved into closing arguments on Saturday, uh, that might have been a mild disappointment for me. But first, before they did that, the impeachment managers called for a vote on bringing in witnesses, specifically one Republican congresswoman, uh, Jamie Herrera Butler, to testify on the late breaking news on Friday night at the end of that day's hearings. Uh, and by the way, at the very end of our broadcast that day, um, the news revealing that during a shouting match phone call between Republican House Majority Leader uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump, while the attack was ongoing, the attack on the Capitol, while it was underway, Trump blatantly refused McCarthy's entreaties to call off the goons that were ransacking the place, with Trump reportedly telling McCarthy at the time, quote, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. So Trump knew what was going on, knew what was underway, was being begged for help by his own Republican majority leader in the U.S. House, not majority leader, minority leader in the U.S. House, and he just refused to take action. And um, that Republican Congresswoman Herrera Butler was none too happy about it. This while Capitol Police officers were being beaten as the MAGA mob was hunting down Vice President Mike Pence and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other lawmakers for assassination. So uh, she was eager to testify, but Democrats uh, eventually caved uh, to allow simply her statement to be read into the record, even after a bipartisan 55 to 45 vote to allow witnesses. And now there was, you know, there was, in fact, good reason to not call witnesses, even if I disagree with the choice. But what I most disagree with was the fact that they brought it up in the first place uh, and that, you know, that they could have seen the objections coming in advance uh, and then so, you know, much of the day on Saturday was overtaken by the failed process decision. And in fact, voters do not care about process. They care about results. And they want to see their lawmakers fight for what is right, whether they succeed or not. Um, you know, there, there was much talk that and I don't know if it was true or not, that uh, the, the Democrats might lose some Republican votes if they kept the trial going. Uh, for very much longer. So Democrats eventually caved and they allowed, uh, you know, simply her statement into the record. But that the House managers, um, you know, seemed to be so brilliant uh, as they were presenting their case and then were so surprised afterwards that the media kept asking them about backing off on the witnesses, uh, particularly after they had offered their brilliant case. And it really was proving Trump's guilt beyond a shadow of a doubt suggests to me the Democrats are not yet all the way there in understanding that we, the people, expect results. So, you know, I admit it was sort of difficult to hear their closing argument on Saturday over my own crushing disappointment of uh, seeing Dems fold uh, on the witnesses issue, which really wouldn't have happened had they not held out the possibility in the first place. My number is 818-985-5735 if you'd like to ring in on that point or any other related to all of this. Most of the point, however, is the fact that while there was much talk about setting a precedent for what constitutes incitement under a constitutional impeachment process with Trump's attorneys calling it the Raskin Doctrine, claiming that they were just making this up, well... 
they were making it up. There's never been a president before who has actually incited an insurrection against the government. But the more important precedent set here is that apparently presidents of the United States will be able to do whatever they want in the last few weeks of their uh, of their term, including inciting an insurrection against the U.S. government. And there is nothing that Congress can do about it. That is the real precedent that has now been set. A president can try to overthrow an election as long as he does it, you know, uh, just late enough that they can't have a, a, a an impeachment trial. That's the new precedent. And there is no constitutional accountability for attempting to overthrow the U.S. government for stealing an electoral victory, you know, for inciting mobsters to try and assassinate a vice president. If we actually buy into the nonsense that uh, folks like uh, uh uh, Mitch McConnell are trying to sell because they are too cowardly to do the right thing. Let's call that the Trump doctrine at this point. So where do we go from here? What happens next? What should happen next? Will he get away with it? As McConnell says, he has not yet gotten away with it. Well, much of that remains to be seen. And I do hope to talk about it with an expert, probably several constitutional scholars over the next few days, hopefully on tomorrow's broadcast. Also, Bradblog legal analyst Ernie Canning has a new piece up you might want to check out at bradblog.com today, headlined Prosecute Trump or Perish, where he details just some of the legal options from here. And he calls on the attorney general designate Merrick Garland to investigate and prosecute everyone accountable for the January 6th attempt uh, at an insurrection. But now I would love to hear from you. What would you love to see happen next when it comes to the seemingly endless accountability chase for this disgraced former president who could have had his only remaining superpower, his front runner status for 2024, taken away from him by Republicans on Saturday that arguably would have helped them? But apparently they like to have their party controlled by a dishonest criminal sociopath, uh, which is very on brand for the modern Republican Party, uh, apparently, at this point. 818-985-5735. Let's, uh, let's grab one phone call here before we get to a break. Let me go to James in Venice. Hey, James, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, thanks, Brad. Uh, you pretty well summed up the, uh, the impeachment uh, goings on for me. Um, and the biggest problem, as I see it, with not asking for witnesses is that that testimony was not part of the permanent record, which will be kept of the proceedings, that uh, a lot of damning information will not be available to uh, people researching this in the future. Uh, Mm -hmm. My second uh, concern if Trump is found to be guilty of a felony in any of the uh, state proceedings, would that bar him from further public office? Thanks. Uh, if he was found guilty in the state proceedings, no, that would not bar him from uh, public office. As a matter of fact, if he was found guilty in a federal proceeding, and that's one of the things that uh, Ernie Canning calls for in his piece at bradblog.com, uh, he, he uh, cites at least three different parts of the U.S. Code 
for solicitation to commit a crime of violence, rebellion or insurrection, seditious conspiracy, all of which Donald Trump could still be held accountable for. But guess what? Even uh, as a felon, you can run for office, for federal office. Eugene Debs, as a matter of fact, ran for president from jail while he was still in prison and he got votes. So, yeah, that uh, that all could still happen, James. Did Thanks, that? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the call. 818-985-5735. Tell you what, let me take a quick call, uh, a quick break here, and we will come back with more of your calls. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Ever get rid of our beast of burden? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com uh, talking impeachment, impeachment fallout, the impeachment trial fallout, in which, by the way, it drives me crazy that I see, uh, uh, you know, mainstream corporate media leading with Donald Trump has been acquitted. No, in fact, Donald Trump was found guilty by a huge bipartisan 57 43 unheard of. Margin found guilty of inciting an insurrection by a majority of the Senate, including seven Republicans. Let me go to uh, Carol in Upland. Hey, Carol, welcome to the broadcast. Hi. Hi. You're on. What's Um, up? Thank you. Um, I was wondering why Mitch McConnell was allowed to use the excuse that Trump was out of office when the majority of members voted against that excuse. Because he is a dishonest liar, and he hopes that uh, people like you wouldn't notice, Carol. He's he's allowed to do anything he wants. He's allowed to say anything he wants, including lying apparently on the uh, on the floor of the Senate. And I'm I'm glad you were not fooled. No, and I'm sure a lot of people that I know will not be fooled. I hope you're right. And, yeah. And you mentioned that if we wanted to solve this, what would I uh, want to be done? I would like Biden to make a law or a ruling that would stick throughout the years that no president could uh, do this again, could instigate a riot Mm -hmm. riot and um, could be uh, could be in two impeachments where Mm -hmm. they are. Follies. Well, in fact, there are laws against that. The question right now is, uh, will Donald Trump be held accountable for them? 
Um, I, I know the U.S. attorney in D.C. says that he is looking at everyone who was involved in that insurrection. And as I noted before the break, uh, there are laws against rebellion and insurrection. There are laws against seditious conspiracy, uh, solicitation to commit a crime of violence. The question right now is, will Joe Biden's new attorney general, frankly, uh, bring those laws to bear against uh, this disgraced former president? Appreciate the call, Carol. Thank you much. Stay safe out there. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. Let's go to Joseph in Ohio. Oh, Joseph, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Yes, hello. I would like to talk about how the Republicans uh, made a false uh, equivalency between some Democrats uh, telling their people to fight like hell and President Trump doing that to his uh, rowdy bunch. It, it, you know, the whole thing depends on context. If you're talking to a group of civil rights activists and you're Bernie Sanders and you say fight like hell for for peace and justice, that's different than Trump talking to the Proud Boys who are armed and and crazy and telling them the same mm-hmm. the same words. You know, uh, the, the whole context has to be taken into consideration to know what the meaning of that is. Well, exactly. And the House managers did speak to this, and under uh, the precedent for it in in law. Uh, the court precedent is Brandenburg v. Ohio uh, from 1969. Now, uh, an impeachment trial is not a legal proceeding. It's an impeachment. They can make up any rules that they want. But even under that, and again, I'd point you to uh, Ernie's article today at bradblog.com, Prosecute Trump or Perish. You know, he points out that, in fact, under Brandenburg, there's essentially two tests. Were, were, were the comments being made directed at inciting or producing imminent lawless action? And two, were they likely to incite or produce such action? Um, Ernie argues that, yes, in fact, Donald Trump's comments were. I believe that the uh, uh, impeachment managers, the House managers did the same thing. So, uh, you know, I hope there is more to come because I think there is definitely a, a legal exposure that uh, that Trump has and that I hope is brought to bear against him. Got well, it? it? It seems yeah. like we are, we're obligated to bring him to justice. Otherwise, we're sending a very bad uh, uh, statement to yep. the rest of the world, including the children in this country. I, I couldn't agree more. Thanks, Joseph. Appreciate that call. Uh, let me go to Curtis in Las Vegas. Oh, Curtis, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> um, I was just wanted to comment on uh, you made the comment that uh, you're uh, very disappointed in the Democratic Party for caving to uh, uh, the Republicans. Uh, they do it all the time. That's what they do. Um, yeah, but you know what? They've they gotten better at it. They they haven't done it so far when it comes to the COVID relief bill. Uh, we have been, a lot of us, a lot of progressives have been pushing them to do the right thing. They have been doing it a lot less. And the fact that they even uh, brought up this vote and voted for it, by the way, 55, you know, they had uh, five Republicans join them in this. You know, they sort of uh, hung that in front of our face and then they uh, they folded for some arguably good reason, but uh, I wish they hadn't brought it up in the first place if they weren't going to follow it through. Well, this is what they always do. They have been folding for the last 30 years, 40 <laughs> years. Um, I uh, made my first uh, presidential vo- uh, vote mm-hmm. for Bill Clinton, yeah. and that was the first and last time I voted for a Democrat. 
Um, they have disappointed me. I don't. I, I'm a black male, mm-hmm. black American, and um, they have disappointed me ever since Clinton. I got you. Um, Who do you vote for I, now? The, uh, Who do you vote for now? <laughs> Well, as far as I'm concerned, Nader will always be my president. Well, but he, um, he doesn't run. So do you vote? Did you vote in 2020? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't vote for president. Mm, okay. I, I didn't have a choice I wanted. Okay. Um, and, and voting for uh, uh, the lesser of two evils is uh, doesn't make good. Um, Actually, it does, Bob. It is voting for less evil. Uh, it, and I, I, I think we could, I'm sorry, Curtis, and I think we could use a lot less evil at this point. So I, I'm not sure that the, the old lesser of two evils uh, excuse works when you have a president who is willing to overthrow democracy and the U.S. government itself. And how did he get there? He got there uh, from the uh, 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 Democrats not fighting for the people and always caving to the Republicans okay. to the point where we got Trump. Okay. And they couldn't do anything about Trump. Okay. They're useless as a party. Well, and, and the only thing they're good for is yeah. keeping a better party from uh, gaining any power. Uh-huh. And that's all they're good at, uh-huh. keeping their own power. Thank you, and Curtis. I, no, I hear you. Thank you, Curtis. I, I appreciate that. I hear you. I know a lot of people feel that way. Um, and, and justifiably, I would argue, push them. Keep pushing them. When you throw up your hands, when you say, oh, they're a failed political party, they are useless. Uh, You're not pushing them. You're giving them uh, impunity to do whatever the hell they want because they don't feel they have to win your vote. I would say continue to push them. Uh, Do we have time to get a couple more uh, quick ones here? Uh, Bob in Encino. Oh, Bob, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Uh, afternoon, guys. Listen, Brad, a couple minutes ago you referred to uh, Trump as a sociopath, and you hear this term used all the time. You guys got to stop using that word. He is not a sociopath. A sociopath is somebody who's oblivious to discomfort in people around them, whether or not they cause that discomfort. Donald Trump is a psychopath. He causes discomfort around him for his amusement. I spent 12 hours with him on three different occasions in three different foursomes at Wingfoot in the summer of 76 when he was 29 and I was about 26. Mm -hmm. That is the year that his dad got the $400 million tax abatement deal Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the Commodore at Grand Central. Right. Part of the deal was that the city was to have a profit-sharing agreement in the deal. They were going to screw the city on the profit-sharing part by running two sets of books, and I was able to get bits and pieces of it during the summer of 76, which I didn't realize I had until later in the 80s when I'm out here in L.A., and the Donald app started to roll out. Wow. Have you ever told anybody about that? Have you ever told any media? Have you ever told any law enforcement who might be looking into that sort of thing, Bob? I work in the media. You've seen a lot of my exclusives. I'll tell you about it later. I don't want to get into it on the air. Let me say one other final thing about Mitch McConnell. Okay. When you look up political, cynical hack in your Webster's, there is a picture of McConnell. When he first ran, he really went after the Louisville AFL-CIO. I got family and friends in Nashville. Uh Uh-huh. And... You know, he was really after them, and the minute he got elected, he turned on them like a, oh, like a hyena. So the one great thing that came out of last week when we watched him give up that unbelievably obnoxious speech 
was the fact that Mitch McConnell is a completely political animal. And if he's made the decision to turn on Mr. Trump, that means bad news for Mr. Trump. In addition, I, you've got people like Peter Meyer run his first term in Grand Rapids, who's a part of the, uh, you know, he, he, the Van Andel uh, DeVos click. Uh, yeah, Meyer yeah, yeah. Huge. I hear you, Bob. I'm coming up on the I'm coming up on the top of the hour. So I got to I got to jump out. I hear you. I hope you're right <clears throat> about the bad news you predict uh, with Mitch McConnell uh, sort of turning on Trump. He didn't turn on him very hard. He still voted to get him off the hook. He's trying to play it both ways, it seems to me. But we'll keep our eyes out and see if you're right. I hope you're right and I'm wrong on that point. Thanks for the call, Bob. Let me get one more in. I'm sorry, I got to fit in what I can here. Summer in Los Angeles. Very quickly, Summer, uh, welcome to the broadcast. What do you think? Hi, I totally agree with the person that just called he is a psychopath or a philosopher. But I have a question for you. Perhaps, would Staffers, congressional staffers, and the uh, D.C. police or the Capitol Police, would they be able to jointly file like a class action or a civil suit against Donald Trump? You know, that's the first I'd ever heard that question. Uh, it's an interesting one. It's one that I'm going to try to look into. I, I mean, essentially, you can sue anybody for anything. So I see no reason why they couldn't do that. I don't know that they would have to do it as a class action suit. They could do it on their own. But I do like the idea. I do like the way you're thinking, Summer. Keep up the good work. Uh, although I'd like to see the criminal charges brought against the criminal that is thankfully no longer in the White House. All right, we got to get out. Thanks, Summer. Uh, and thanks to all of you who called in. And my apologies to those I couldn't get to today. We will be back with you again tomorrow. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Federico Garcia, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I'll see you there until I see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh, 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 oh,